Well, welcome everybody to this week's Football Heavy View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me as always is Brad Hallier. And Brad, we got a football-loaded schedule, as always seems like this time of year. We're going to throw in a couple other things, but uh, football, football, football. Yeah, it's a, a great, great time of the year, isn't it? Especially with my my other my the other football teams that I have in my life. Uh, you know, the the European kind aren't doing so well these days. So I'm glad that my American football teams are doing pretty well. You know, from the Blue Dragons to the Chiefs to the Jayhawks. Yeah, we'll talk about all of them coming up. Let's uh, let's start with our Ad Astra High School schedule this week. We have eight games. We're going to throw in a couple other high school games. So let's start in order. They'll appear on the dial. 94.7, the 0-2 Lions. Lions host the 1-1 Hoisington Cardinals. Lions shut out 54-0 at Larnard, and Hoisington went to Halstead and blanked the Dragons 28-0. Boy, Brad, this Lions team's so young. Uh, their numbers are down a little bit again this year. Hoisington Always get a down year for Hoisington. Seems like you know a six and three year, so uh, it's it's gonna be a tough one for Lions at home. Yeah, Hoisington with a close loss to Heston, and then they blanked a rapidly improving Halstead team, twenty eight to nothing. And Lions, it's just it's gonna be tough sledding the entire year. I mean, they've lost twenty eight nothing to Nickerson, fifty four nothing to Larned, and and to be honest with you, Scott, those were probably two of the uh, matchups that you thought might have been a little bit more on the competitive side and they still might have a couple of those with uh you know look at their schedule the likes of you know per- perhaps haven or hillsborough but you know with southeast of saline and and Ugh. halstead and uh hoisington on the schedule i mean that uh, there's 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 some lumps that they're going to take here co- coming up and this is probably going to be one of them yeah the, the ckl it's, it's it's not forgiving in most weeks and uh lions is they're going to experience that this year, unfortunately. I hope, you know, if they could just if they could just get a score or two in the Hoisington game, that'd be a step forward. Just getting shut out in the first two weeks. Ninety-five nine. Surprisingly, a pair of zero and two teams. Bueller at Great Bend. Great Bend lost at Hayes, thirty-three to seven. And for the first time, I believe, in eight ever meetings between Bueller and Circle and football, Circle comes away with the big. 38-35 victory at home against Bueller. I, I do think Bueller rebounds this week. Were you surprised at all by the loss at Circle? Maybe not necessarily the loss, but it's just not really the, the amount of mistakes that Bueller's been making. It's just not your typical Steve Warner team right now. And uh, interesting note, Scott, this is the first time since Coach Warner has been there that they've started 0-2. They have not started 0-2 since 2005, which was the year before he started there. So, you know, Warner has obviously done an outstanding job of uh, building a, a very strong program in northeastern Reno County. And, you know, I just think that the mistakes that they've been making, the turnovers and the likes of that, I mean, it, it's they're, – they're, they're not far. I mean, they were in that Andover Central game well into the third quarter. They lost by three to circle where they had a last-second field goal fall short. So they're not far. But you can't have five turnovers against anybody and expect to win the game, even if you manage to take three or four back. I mean, it's just it's just a recipe for disaster. And I think if they can just iron some of those big mistakes out and cut down on the turnovers, I think that they're going to be fine. They're going to win some games still. I do as well. They're young. They need to get healthy. I know some injuries on the defensive side of the ball, hopefully by midseason, especially um, district time that they can um, – 
get the ship righted. And I think they will against Great Bend, although Great Bend was very competitive in the MAC game in week one. So we'll see uh, interesting matchup again. Bueller at Great Bend on 95.9. 96.7, home of the Smoky Valley Vikings, who got a 42-13 win at Haven last week. They will host 1-1 one one Larnard. We already mentioned Larnard blank Lions 54 to nothing. So Larnard is... 154 to nothing and i believe in week one what was it they lost the pratt was like 62 to nothing i think it was so i think i feel like larnard is somewhere in between that win and that loss and i think smoky valley um they lost that wild one week one to halstead right at the last um, they put up a ton of points in two weeks i think smoky valley's got a good chance to go to two and one yeah 82 points in two games i mean the got be one of the higher scoring teams in the state so far so uh, definitely have to feel good about their chances this week. Uh, Larned, it's just one of those things. You know, they, they played a team that was much better than they played a team that was much inferior. So I'm not sure we really know too much about Larned right now. But I do think that Smokey, uh, a, a loss to a good, to a very uh, rapidly improving Halstead team and a, a, a pretty good Haven team, I think, 42-13. So I think that the Smoky Valley team is good, and I expect them to go to 2-1. and one. I do as well. Again, that's the home of the Vikings on 96 96- Point seven, the home of the Mac Bullpups, ninety-eight point nine. Mac is two and zero after beating Augusta forty-two to seven. Unique matchup. They travel to Junction City, who's one and one after a forty-two twenty-one victory at home over Dodge City. So again, a, a unique matchup. Do you think the Bullpups uh, survive and move to three and zero? Yeah, I do think Mac wins this one, but I do think that Junction City. Uh, it, it's not probably their strongest team that they've had. Uh, they, they start off with a 12 point loss to a good Hayes team. Then they beat Dodge city 42 21. So I'm not sure that again, that this is junction C's best team, but they usually are loaded with athletes. So I think this will be a good test for McPherson. Uh, I don't think that they, I don't think it's a blowout or anything like that. I think this is actually a pretty competitive game, but I'm going to uh, lean toward McPherson. I think it will be tight as well. I, I see the bullpups, getting by it and winning and going to 3-0 and as well. 100.3, the Hutch Trinity Celtics off to a great start. They are 2-0 and uh, after beating Remington 48-16 at home. They're out on the road in Hart play at 1-1 one one Marion, who knocked off Sterling 32-14. to we, we, You and I both felt that you know the 4-5 and five team from a year ago for Trinity was so young, was a year away, and I think you're seeing – Took a couple of lumps, still was very competitive in most games last year, and you're seeing the fruit of that. And I, I think could be a tough one. Marion plays well at home, but I do think Trinity is going to move to 3-0 this week. Yeah, I think that win over Sedgwick kind of uh, lit the fire under Trinity for this season. Good win last week over Remington. Uh, they've got some tough matchups coming up with Conway, Springs, and Inman. But uh, – I, I, I think that Trinity wins this one. I do think Marion is, is, is a good team, a solid team. Uh, a comfortable win last week over, you know, what you and I both agree is one of the more improved teams in the area in Sterling. So, and I, I, you know, I also look at Marion's schedule, and it's a pretty manageable district for them, I think. Um, you know, if they can, uh, if they would somehow win this one, uh, boy, they could really have a pretty strong record going into the postseason. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a critical game for both teams, maybe even more so, as you mentioned, for Marion. Um, that would be a huge boost of confidence. Trinity, a ranked team. Uh, I, I, I don't see that happening, but you never know. We've seen crazy things over at Marion before. 
So again, Trinity at Marion on 100.3. Kicks Country 106.1, a pair of one and one teams. Heston at Hillsboro. Heston coming off a 28 14 loss to Pratt. Hillsboro blanking Nickerson 20 war, excuse me, 21 to nothing. Uh, we, we've seen this matchup the last couple of years, Brad. It, it, it's been very competitive. Both of these teams graduated a really good senior class, especially Hillsboro. I look for Heston to go on the road and get the victory, but I think by the end of the year, some of that youth for Hillsboro that they'll be they'll be pretty good. Well, Hillsboro is pretty competitive in the loss to Haven to start out 21-14, then a shutout win over Nickerson. So this is going to be a tough matchup, I think, for for Hillsboro. They won it last year. Uh, I think Hess, I think Hesson's good. Uh, good win over Hoisington to start the season. A competitive loss to Pratt last week. I think that Heston, like I said, I, I think this Heston team is good. They got a really tough district, man. I mean, you, you look at their district, and I see Kingman, and I see Collegiate. I'm like, wow, who, who's, you know, who, who did Heston anger right now? So, uh, but but this, you know, a couple a couple opportunities to, before they really get into the thick of district play to to gather uh, some wins, and I think that they get a win this week. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. The the district wasn't going to get a whole lot tougher than the previous couple of years, which I believe included Clearwater. Collegiate Andale and somebody else in there. Uh, I'm forgetting the one, but it, it was brutal the last couple of years and it did not get a lot better for Heston. So I think um, crucial that they grab this win early in the year because district will be really tough. I do think they win. I'll be curious to see if Hillsboro um, keeps this one close into the fourth quarter. And that's Heston at Hillsboro on 106.1. On sports number one, I'm very curious to see how good the 2-0 and Independent is. They defeated Fairfield on the road 54-6 to last week. 1-1 one one Mound Ridge, they knocked off Bennington on the road 30-14. to You think this is a good test for Independent to see truly how good they are? Well, I think Mound Ridge, that was, that was a good win over Bennington. Bennington's usually had a pretty solid team in. You know, independent dropping from eleven man to eight man. I think this is the this is the reason why because they really struggled to compete at the eleven man uh, level, and it got to the point where they even forfeited some games just because they didn't have enough players. Sometimes they dropped to eight man, and they're off to a two and zero start. They beat Sunrise, and now they've beaten Fairfield. So I think this would be a pretty good matchup. Actually, I, I think Moundridge can compete and. Um, you know, they had that good win, like I said, over Bennington. It, it's it's always tough to maybe go against a team off to a 2-0 start, but I think that Mount Ridge could win this one. I think it'll be really sneaky close. I'll be very I'm gonna be very curious to see the score of this one and see if Independent gets a three and oh, we'll be um, bigger believers going into week four. On sports number two, one and one Sterling at 0-2 Sedgwick. We haven't said that in recent memory as far as Sedgwick is concerned. Uh, they are off to a brutal start as far as the schedule. They lost 42-24 at Inman. Sterling fell 32-14 at Marion. I think Sedgwick, you saw the Inman-Sedgwick game last week. Very, very young. Sterling's made some nice off-season moves, moving players around to different positions. But it kind of feels like Sedgwick going to get some things figured out. I, I think Sedgwick gets their first win. I think Cedric's, Cedric's hungry this week, and that's that's not to say that they weren't the previous two weeks, but you know, two losses to two ranked teams, including an Inman team that is a state championship contender, and you know, Grant Williams and I were talking on the air about Sedgwick, and 
you know, their their district, I think I will say that they're the favorites in it. When you got the, uh, you know, Blue Stem and Remington, Bell Plan and Marion, I think Sedgwick's the favorite in that district. So if they can they, they need a genesis, they need a starting point to start building something. If they can start that this week, I think there's a chance that they they could be six and three, seven and two going into postseason play. And yeah. and what and what's supposed to be a rebuilding season. Yeah, you mentioned that's not the most overwhelming district um, out there. If they could be two and two starting district play, I could see them being six and two district champions at the end of the year. So a, a, a critical matchup early in the season. I think really Sterling's in a tough district for both of these teams to try to pull off the victory. Again, that's on sports number two. Also games in the area, 2-0 and Hutch at, or actually hosting at Gallon Stadium, 2-0 and Maze South. What about the Salt Hawks this week? Well, dramatic win last weekend. We did, did, didn't we say something last week about nobody loses uh, more close games than Newton? Than Newton. <laughs> well, guess what? They lose thirty-two twenty-seven. So, and I don't, did you hear how that game ended, Scott, or how it kind of went down? Well, no, I did not. Well, it was a wild second half, seven-seven at halftime, and so Newton is up actually twenty-seven to oh twenty-seven twenty-four twenty-five or something like that, and. They're going in to score and essentially end the game. And then they fumble it inside the 10-yard line. So Hutch gets a couple plays. I think they got three plays to get 10 yards and get a first down. And then on their very next play, uh, their quarterback, Nick Lang, throws a long pass to Noah Coker, who is their, you know, do everything, their their top player, essentially. Caught it uh, across the field. And once it, it was like watching Malik Benson or Cordero Patterson at, at Hutchinson Community College. Once he got that in, in the open field, forget about it. So a long touchdown to end that game. And then May South, kind of an interesting win over campus, 17-14, an improved campus team. I just don't know if we know very much still about these two 2-0 and teams. Uh, May South beat Andover pretty comfortably, but then a, uh, a tight win over campus. So It'll be interesting. May South likes to chuck it. They, they, they usually have four or five receivers, and they throw a lot. So Hutchinson secondary, which Coach Mike Vernon thought was going to be a strength of theirs this year, I guess they'll get a, a real test to see how strong that secondary is. It really feels like one of those kind of unknown pick games out there right now that you wouldn't be surprised if either team won the matchup. Right. And, you know, when you look at uh, especially, well, both of these teams scheduled, since they both play ABCTL Division One. You know, uh, this could be a big game for both teams going down the road. Uh, I think that both teams could end up, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of six and two, uh, potentially with both playing Derby and Mays. Uh, both games will be tough for them to win, I think. So, you know, the winner of this game will, will probably have a good chance of finishing six and two and finishing, you know, fairly well in, in the standings. Plus, the winner will have a, a what could be a pretty big tiebreaker too. Yeah, and, and uh, most likely a home game when the playoffs get going. So. A uh, pretty big matchup there between Hutch and Mays South. My Friday night ball game, the game time game of the week on Your View Cox Channel 22. Brad, uh, I, I tell you, I got to shake the hand of the people that put together our schedule for Friday night this year, Brad. We've got number two six in class 6A Derby at number three in class 5A Bishop Carroll here on Friday night. Derby actually one and one coming in after an overtime loss at Manhattan in week one. And by the way, Manhattan is number one in Class 6A, and they 
they had two or three scores called back in that ball game due to penalty and missed a short field goal. Derby routed uh, Carroll and Derby both played South. So one of them played Salina South and one played uh, Wichita South. I think it was Derby playing. I don't remember which South. I got too many Souths going on here. They played Salina South and Carroll knocked off. Um, Wichita South, both by route. This is an intriguing matchup. You've got D1 kids. Dylan Edwards, the running back for Derby, uh, ran a 4.3940 this summer at the Under Armour camp. Um, and they got two D1 defensive players, a defensive end going to Iowa State, a linebacker going to Southern Illinois. The Derby only with eight starters back, but this is Derby. They got kids waiting in the wings. And Carroll, that amazing week one come from behind victory over Northwest when they were down 31-7. to Jackson King, the backup quarterback, now the starter, running the RPO, just fantastic. They got a kid named Tate Blazy at receiver. This one, this one has been close and a great ball game the last couple of years. I'm excited. I think this is going to be fantastic in front of a packed house on Friday night. Well, let's give these coaches credit. They, they, they don't have to schedule this game. You know, you got the city league with uh, Bishop Carroll and you got the ABCTL division one with Derby. So this is a game that they don't have to schedule. I look at Bishop Carroll's schedule and, you know, in the city league, you know, you're going to get Northwest, you know, you're going to get Capon, you know, East is obviously a, a good team. And usually there's someone else, like maybe a Heights or something like that. That's usually decent also. And they so they, they don't have to go out. They, they could have just gotten, you know, some patsy that they whooped up on. Instead, they go out and they get Derby. So a lot of credit for, for these coaches to schedule this game. And I look at, you know, Derby's uh, non-con and, you know, they got Manhattan currently ranked number one in Kansas. So I, I, I love it, Scott. I love that these coaches get together and schedule these kind of games, man. I mean, it, it's so easy maybe to go get a oh uh, a non-traditional matchup against maybe someone from Kansas City or maybe Western Kansas that maybe, oh, that's a neat matchup. And then, you know, it's, it's a 50-point bludgeoning or something like that. But uh, I, I just like the fact that they're, that they're scheduling this. I, everybody wins. Both teams win. The fans win. Uh, you definitely win by getting the paid-to-go call it. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's a great thing, I think. Yeah, we've got to actually, the night we're recording this, we I got off the phone with both the coaches here earlier this evening. Two great coaches on both of these teams. I, I love it. Bishop Perra, is there a better head coach name than Dusty Trail? Uh, maybe Alan Shuckman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, is both these coaches, as a former uh, superior, I would say, they know how to play the game. Uh, they're appreciative of, of the, the media coverage that they get. They, they don't think that they're above it. Uh, they welcome it. They encourage it. And uh, they, 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 they know how to handle it. And uh, it, this isn't the first big game that these coaches, Brandon Clark for Derby and Dusty Trail for Carroll, it's not the first big game they're going to play in and coach in. And certainly not going to be the last, but that doesn't make it any less exciting. I had somebody asking us about the rest of our schedule this season and said, well, surely you've got Capen and Carroll. We're like, no, we don't have that. They couldn't believe it. Well, it's because we have Mays at Derby that night. <laughs> well, hey, t- 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 tell your bosses if they need someone to go cover that Cape and Carroll game, I might be able to work something out for them. Oh, man, that, that was two fantastic games those night. I'm so psyched for that Mays-Derby game to see that quarterback kid for, for Mays play, but that'll be a little bit later in the season. But, again, that's uh, – that's on Your View Cox Channel 22, Derby at Carroll on Friday night. Kickoff at 
Well, we're going to keep with the uh, football theme here, Brad. And before we go in, I know we're, we're itching to talk about Hutch and KU, and I'm not itching as much to talk about the Sterling Warriors quite yet. But uh, I, I, I started a petition, Brad, and I'm wondering if you will sign it for me. Okay. I think we should expand now from the Power Five to the Power Six and the Sun Belt should be the power six conference in the nation because they whooped up on the big boys this last week, Brad. If people aren't aware of what I'm talking about, Georgia Southern marches into Nebraska and gets uh, Scott Frost fired by giving Nebraska their second loss of the season, 45 to 42. Appalachian State goes down to College Station, number six, Texas A&M, and holds them to one offensive touchdown and beats Texas A&M 17-14. And, oh, by the way, the thundering herd roll in the Notre Dame and give the Irish a 26-21 to loss. So, Brad, I think the Sun Belt's proven they should be a, one of the power conferences. Sometimes I wonder what these schools are thinking by scheduling some of these teams. I mean, I mean what, what is A&M doing scheduling Appalachian State? I mean, I could have told you that at worst, that's going to be a competitive game. Go see Michigan about yeah. Appalachian State. Yeah, and uh, Georgia Southern, I think, uh, it just kind of goes back a few years ago when KU lost to Nichols State. There was some national media was, who was saying, why is Kansas scheduling this game? You know, Nichols State had a lot of athletes. They had a lot of guys from Louisiana who were really good, kind of underrated, under-recruited kind of players. I, I I just – and it's not just that they schedule the game. It's the buy-in game. They're paying these teams to come there and beat them. Did, did you see what they paid these schools? The, the, something like a collective $15 million or something like that? Well, it was actually um, the, the lowest amount. I'm trying to remember which team it was. It, it ranged in pay from $1.25 million to $1.5 million that these three teams – this is a piece that they got paid to go in and hand these big – time schools a loss in most cases on at least regional if not national television um it was incredible i love it i i make no bones about it. i root against all the teams that dropped out of the big 12 so they're seeing nebraska and texas a&m and i love the smaller division one schools getting their chance and boy they got on a national stage brett and they shine this last week just top one the apple cart that we knew as major college football. I love it. We could have a, we could have an entire podcast with the, about this subject here, Scott, but has any of the big teams that have left the Big 12 so far, have any of them landed in a better place? Now, you could make an argument that financially, yes. I'm talking athletically. Has any of those four schools, Colorado, Nebraska, A&M, and who am I forgetting here? Oh, Missouri. Yeah, duh. Uh, have any of them landed in a better place athletically? I think you could make the argument for only one, and that would be Texas A&M. I, mean, I think, you know, and that would be certainly football. They've been competitive with Alabama. Um, they're in the mix in the, in the SEC. Um, certainly not Nebraska, Colorado, or Missouri. Just no way. I mean, you, you see the way Nebraska uh, is just an afterthought there. I mean, they're just, they, they just are. They're, they're, they're not a factor at all in the Big Ten. Missouri's certainly no factor in the SEC. Colorado just 
they've been getting drubbed at times. Uh, who was it? I think Air Force um, whooped up on them this last weekend um, in football. So, yeah, I, maybe they're better off financially. They certainly are not competitively. Except, like I said, you could maybe make the argument that A&M is in a better place, but the other three certainly no. No, and, and we saw Missouri just got thrashed by uh, K-State this past weekend in football. So in the past, in less than a year, Missouri has been embarrassed on national TV in basketball by Kansas and football by K-State. So uh, Missouri, there's no other way to say it. I mean, Missouri's a joke right now. I mean, they're, they're, they're not good at anything. My brother sent me a text about just how bad they are. Mediocre to bad in most sports. I mean, Missouri's just... Enjoy it. I, I, I hope they're enjoying it. I, I really do. It just means more. Right, Scott? Uh, well, if I can quit wiping my tears away right now for Missouri, I'd be, you know, better on this podcast not. Yeah, it's just – it's hilarious. I mean, I just I, – I he and haw when they just get crushed like that. And I, I got friends that are Nebraska fans. It's just, to me, they're, they're, they're irrelevant right now. They just are. I don't – they'll – they'll eventually get it turned around and they'll, they'll be um, competitive, maybe a factor in the big 10 at some point, but right now uh, they're not even close. They're light years away right now. They are. I mean, you watch that uh, game and I, I got so sick of the announcers in that game in Ireland against Northwestern talking about how big of an upset it was. It's like, yeah, these two teams were three and nine last year it was not a big upset, maybe a small upset. Um, again, Nebraska has, maybe as hyped up expectation as Notre Dame does going into a season. And we see how um, that has worked out for the Irish so far this year. But again, uh, I'll get that petition over to you. Anybody else wants to sign that? It'll be uh, the Sun Belt as a power, the power number six conference in the country. I mean, what, what a, what a weekend it was for the Sun Belt. Well, let's talk about KU football, Brad. A first two and O start since I think I believe I saw 2011 for the Jayhawks after a 55-42 overtime victory over West Virginia. People wonder how the score got that way. Well, KU scored a touchdown on offense in overtime, then got a pick six to end the game. That's how you got a two-score difference in overtime. Uh, Jalen Daniels, Brad, is showing you why is this 18, 17, 18-year-old kid that came in a couple seasons ago, why they were so high on him. 18 to 29, 219 yards through the air, three touchdowns, 85 rushing yards. Devin Neal out of the backfield, two rushing, one receiving touchdown. Um, and it showed the moxie of KU because they gave up the lead, much like they did in the Texas game last year, Brad, at the end for it to go to overtime and then to go right out score, have the game seemingly over on what they thought was a recovered fumble, which was ruled an incomplete pass. And you think, Oh brother, now West Virginia is going to score. Then they get the pick six. I think it was a, I don't know if I would call it a statement win for KU, but it's a, it's a great win for the program on the road, in the conference, you know that long, 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 miserable losing streak on conference road games they had. Um, it's, a, it's a good win. They're 2-0. They go to a Houston team that's, I believe, still ranked. They, they were 25 
I think they have lost their quarterback. Houston lost a tight one to Texas Tech last weekend. So another road test. But uh, I loved what I saw. Now, I don't love the 42 points on the board. Um, That's kind of Big 12 football in a way. But I I love the 55. And I just love the way that this team is believing in itself. I guess if there was one complaint that I had, it was they, they didn't, they didn't, they should have sealed that game in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, it's, it's still, if we're being honest, it's still a program learning how to win and winning games like that is certainly, hopefully will go a long way. Uh, I think Jalen Daniels has definitely got the look of a winner, you know, Devin Neal, uh, I mean, they, they had, let's see if looking at the stats, they had three guys combined for 32 rushes. Daniels had 12, uh, Neil had 10, and this Daniel, I, I'm probably going to say, is it Hishaw? Uh, I'm not sure. I did not I did not hear the broadcast doing Warrior football when they were playing. Well, so they combined, They each carried the ball at least 10 times, and they all averaged a le- uh, between 4.2 and 7.1 yards per carry. So they're moving the ball, and, you know, Daniels is uh, – you know, he's, he's not the prototypical thrower. You know, JT Daniels for West Virginia probably is. 27 out of 39 for JT for 365 yards. But for Jalen Daniels, 18 out of 29, I mean, you're going to take that pretty much every week. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, the defense, I thought, was probably better than what the 42 points indicated. And, uh, you know, right, right now, I mean, it, it just feels like – it just feels different this time for Kansas. I, I think that the days – of get, getting slaughtered week in and week out and maybe compete every great now and then against someone and just kind of surprise someone one day. I think those days are over, Scott. I mean, if Kansas goes down and they compete well with Houston, um, you know, you're still you're still okay with that and then maybe hopefully beat Duke the next week. But I, I think the days of Kansas of being, you know, kind of the Big 12 pushover, I think those days, I think those days are done. I, I do as well. I just I just thought that they would be better. I, I said during the Warrior broadcast this weekend, I didn't know what better would mean as far as wins. I thought that four or five, both you and I thought four or five wins this year would be a definite big step forward for this program. But you, you look and with, with wins like this, expectations rise a little bit. Um, you could see them going into the full conference schedule coming up uh, they could be three and one. I mean, four and zero is not out of the question. It's a really good Houston team they're playing this weekend. I again, I don't. Do I expect them to go down and beat Houston? Probably not. Do I think they have a shot? Yes, I think they got a good shot back at home against Duke. Uh, who would have Who would have thought that they could possibly be three and one starting the full slate of conference play? Yeah, I think uh, most people were kind of thinking that if they could go even just to split those first four games, it, it would be uh, acceptable. And not just ac- acceptable, but, uh, you know, good even. And, you know, that's definitely not off the table. Let's not get put the cart in front of the horse here. They could still be 2-2 two and two going into that full uh, allotment of conference games. But like you said, Scott, the expectations have risen right now. Um, at 2-0, and o, now going 2-2, two and two, you're kind of thinking, well, that's not acceptable right now. So... And I, it just feels different right now with Kansas. You know, if they can uh, – and if – you know, if you even look beyond that, Scott, you know, if the first two games in October, Iowa State, TCU, those are winnable games. Those are yeah. winnable games. I mean, it is not out of the realm of possibility to think that Kansas could be somewhere in the neighborhood of 4-2, and 5-1 and one before they play Oklahoma on the 15th. 
what do you think about the Texas game now after you see Brad, I watched I don't know why I did because I knew what was going to happen in the end I knew Alabama some way would be gifted a win in that ball game and they were do you think that that game was more of an indictment on Alabama isn't as good as people think or that was Texas is a lot better than people think I don't know, Scott. Texas always seems to have that one or one game or two games where they go toe to toe with a, a national championship contender and fall a little bit short. I'm not convinced yet with Texas. I mean, can, are, can they go seven and five, eight and four, and get a couple of win, good wins in there? Sure, I guess. But uh, I think that that uh, was more of an indictment that maybe Alabama is a little bit down this year. That's kind of what I felt like as well. And and you look at that game; it just makes. It irritates me because Alabama always seems to get these kind of breaks. They knock out the starting quarterback who's going to be out for a while, and then the backup's playing injured for Texas, and they still should have won the ball game. They really – I watched that. The minute they kept kicking field goals instead of getting one of those into the end zone, I just knew that that was going to come back and bite them, uh, and and it did in the very end. But I I like you. I'm not sold. I want to see what Texas does the next couple of weeks. Um and then, and then I'll make a little bit better judgment on Texas because that could that could still be that game will be in Lawrence this year. That could still be a, that could be a winnable game on the Jayhawks schedule. Oh, it certainly has been uh, three of the last five years anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gotta love it. So again, KU this week will be at. Uh, I've got it. I need to check the rankings, but it was number twenty-five, Houston. That game, of course, would be on. Uh, I mentioned the Warriors a couple of times, Brad. Uh, It was not an unforeseeable, tough ball game against Kansas Wesleyan, but it was another long evening for the Warriors as they fell 49 to nothing at home against number 10 Kansas Wesleyan. Brad, the game kind of went kind of what the way I thought it would go as far as game plans. Kansas Wesleyan is a power football team now. They come out, a lot of two tight ends, big offensive line. They just ran right at the Warriors. Sterling was really unable to slow them down. Same thing offensively. Sterling just couldn't sustain drives. Field position was uh, certainly heavily in favor of Kansas Wesleyan and still just so much work to be done. They, well, I, I think the best thing for the Warriors is this is their bye week because um, they'll come off of that and they'll get a Tabor team that's 2-1 and one, who just got by Mac on Saturday 17-16, which you think would be a game that could compete in better and have a shot to win in the end in a, in a, here in about a week and a half now. But um, still everybody adjusting the new systems and everything, but it's, it's been a little head-scratching so far, I'll have to admit. Well, only six first downs, Scott, and one was by penalty. So uh, three of three of sixteen on third down, zero for one on fourth down, one hundred forty six total yards. Uh, just I'm looking at these stats, and it, it's really not that hard to figure out why this game was forty nine to nothing. I mean, it's twenty one nothing, you know, with a couple minutes left in the first quarter, and uh, you know, after that they kind of you know they 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 seem to maybe have improved and uh you know that late touchdown by k-dub uh, at the end of the first half was probably a, a killer you know psychologically but it, it, right now it's uh yeah they, they definitely need the bye week right now it seems like that you know not from an 
an injury perspective or anything like that, but more or less, you know, just to kind of, you know, regroup, regather a little bit and uh, just see, you know, what, what you can, uh, you know, re- reset the, the, you know, the, the, the batteries a little bit or whatever you want to say, and just see what you can come up with uh, a- after the, your bye week. Yeah, their their uh, second quarterback, Rockland Baptista, who played well in the second half in the St. Mary game, he wasn't available Saturday. He was at his brother's wedding in California. Um, I would like to have seen um, him get a second game under his belt. They kind of plan on using a couple of quarterbacks, at least initially. Um, so he'll be back for the Tabor game. But yeah, you just you just hope in that Tabor game you see a more competitive game and you see some some steps forward um, for Sterling, and that'll be their last evening game on the schedule here on the twenty. Let me get this right: the twenty fourth of September at six o'clock on ninety five point nine. Um, sticking in the college football ranks, let's talk about your Hutch Blue Dragons, Brad. I'm assuming you went to this game on Saturday and what a game you retreated to the the blue dragons come from behind and win in overtime over number seven, Iowa central 31 to 28. That must've been one heck of a ball game. Well, I, I had, I was actually in uh, Hayesville for a Bueller soccer game. So I missed, uh, I was, I listened to about the first quarter and a half. Then I went home and I was watching the game for the last part of the second quarter and well into the third quarter. And finally, I just I had a student there covering. And I was like, you know what? I was going to go up there and just watch the rest of the game. So I get up there and, you know, Hutch had the ball ready to kick the game winning field goal at the end of regulation when they inexplicably fumbled. I mean, we're not talking like it was going to be, you know, a long field goal. It would have been a chip shot. So then their defense, and this is, this is hard, Scott. Iowa Central had the ball first on offense in overtime. And they had fourth and inches. And they went for it. And they got stuffed. So now, you know, Hutch has ball just a chance, and they just need any kind of points, and they get a, a field goal, a 39-yard field goal without uh, against the wind that was kicked probably 40 yards, So, but it counts all the same. But what, what do you think of that, Scott? Uh, Iowa Central, you know, when you're number seven and two and oh, I mean, this early in the season, you're in the national championship picture if you can beat number two, Hutchinson. And you got fourth and inches. And essentially, once again, if you don't make that, you're in a world of trouble. So I know you're going against the wind, but uh, how far would that have been? So you're 25 yard line. You're down to the about the 16. I mean, you're. I mean, that's what uh, a 30, 30 a 33, 33. Yeah. I mean, you know, if Hutch's kicker can make a 40, a 39, 40 yarder against the wind, I'm sure that Iowa Central's got a kicker who can kick, you know, a shorter field goal against the wind. Well, what do you think of that? Oh, uh, it's so hard when you've got the ball first to know then you have to get a, a stop and force the other team to a field goal. Uh, I guess I guess I'd have to know. I mean, what kind of confidence they had in their kicker? Had he had he had, had he struggled in the game? Um, mm-hmm. All wow. fair questions. Um, that's a fifty-fifty there. I I almost lean towards you know when it's fourth and inches, you know come on, you got to man up and get a few inches um, on a quarterback sneak. I, I, my gut's telling me I go for it there. Well, that's what Iowa Central did. And, uh, you know, not saying it cost them the game. I and mean, we don't know what happens after that. Um, but, boy, it's, it certainly changed the uh, projection of the, the national championship picture. Uh, Hutch now ranked number two all by themselves. And uh, maybe with a case for number one because they beat Navarro pretty easily to start the season. 
and number one New Mexico military barely beat Navarro last week. So uh, Hutch with a bye week coming up, and then they go to Coffeyville, which is usually one of the stranger. It's just, it, I don't know what happens down at Coffeyville, man, but just weird things happen there through the year. So I'm kind of glad Hutch has the bye this week uh, before they go down. to. they got two pretty tough games here back-to-back. They go to Coffeyville, then they host Butler. And then they kind of hit uh, maybe the softer part of their schedule. They go to Dodge. They go to Garden. Garden just 0-3 right now. I think that their season is pretty much in the tank. Then they host Highland. Then they host Independence, who uh, isn't, I don't think, as good as maybe that, that we thought they would be. So if they can get by Coffeyville and Butler, probably their two toughest conference games these next couple weeks, they're going to go November 12th into Iowa Western, probably uh, undefeated. And there's a chance Iowa Western could be undefeated, which kind of brings up an interesting predicament, Scott. That Iowa Western-Hutch game, if both teams are ranked in the top four, are they both playoff? Are, are they both guaranteed of a playoff as long as it's not like an embarrassing 49 nothing loss to someone? I, and I don't think that's going to happen, so – which takes me to my next point here. If, if Hutch and Iowa Western play each other, uh, I think it's reasonable to think that one of them will end up being ranked number one after that. Does the loser drop to four? Four? Oh, wow. Which means then they're going to turn around right around and play again. Oh, and, and you know, I know you, tr- you have to try to avoid that, but you can't give somebody a seed – that they didn't deserve. Um, So, wow, that would be something that, you know, win or lose, you know, you're going to have to play the same team again. I mean, we got, obviously that this is November we're talking here. So we got two months before this is, this is happening, but I do think it's reasonable to, to start thinking that this is not out of the realm of possibility where Hutch and Iowa Western could be playing each other and back-to-back games, you know, including one being a national semifinal. It's possible. That is a real, that's a real, real possibility. If that, if they're both undefeated in that game, um, turn around, and then of course the higher seed would host. Um, wow, that's <laughs> that, that, that JUCO. That'd be quite a conundrum if something like that happens. But uh, like you said, if we're we're in the middle of September, and and, and we as uh, sportscasters can afford to look forward. I know Hutch, hopefully. They'll just take her one game at a time and uh, and and get business done so that 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 could be a conundrum later on. Right, and Coach Drew Dallas, uh, I don't have any doubt that his team is thinking about nothing right now. But well, first of all, get uh, their by and trying to get healthy and you know uh, giving the guys a little bit of time off. But uh, definitely Coffeyville. Let's not forget they went to Coffeyville last year and essentially got embarrassed seventeen uh, ten where they didn't score an offensive touchdown. They turned it over seven times. So. Uh, weird things happen at Coffeeville, man. Uh, this this is definitely not a game to to take lightly. And certain matchups for teams over the years, it doesn't matter what level, what sport. There's always those matchups that you're uncomfortable about, regardless of record. And that seems to be one of them for the Blue Dragons. Now, before we leave college football, we talked about this last week, and then I already saw something between now and then about the college football playoff. Uh, original 12 team format they were shooting initially said it'd be 2026 but now the most late recent article is saying they're pushing um, pulling out all the stops to make this happen by 2024 which would mean the current format of four teams would last just 
um, this season and next before going to a 12 team. Um, I applaud that. And I hope that certainly happens because the sooner we get to more than four teams, in my opinion, the better in 2024, much better than 26. Well, yeah, they don't want the, the, a lot of these teams don't want the four more than four teams because that means that teams like Georgia Southern and Appalachian State might make the playoffs, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a great thing when they expand to, to twelve teams. Um, I, I I can't wait for it. Uh, it. It'll be great seeing different teams, and let's face it, you're going to see some nice upsets somewhere along the way, and that's what makes March such a great time in sports. So I, I I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for it as well. So hopefully here in a couple of years, we will see that new format come in. Well, the NFL season, of course, got kicked off um, last Thursday with the Bills routing the Rams. I think we are we knew that the Bills were going to be really good. They proved that. And then the Chiefs, of course, got underway um, in the 325 slot Sunday afternoon. I actually got to watch. All of this ball game and uh, 44-21, Brad, wasn't that close. Um, Chiefs were up in this thing. I believe it was 37-7, to a couple of garbage time, fourth quarter touchdowns for uh, the Cardinals. Mahomes, 30 out of 39, 369 through the air, five touchdowns. Um, the three running backs, um, Edwards Lair, um, McKinnon and then um, Pacheco all looked good, all contributed. Uh, and what we thought the Chiefs needed to do coming in offensively, Brad, they did that. It wasn't just one guy. Now, they, Kelsey got his big touches, but they spread the ball to the receivers, to the backs. And I loved it. How much did you love the three tight ends, not two, but three tight end sets that the Chiefs would use, and they'd still go to the air? I loved it. I absolutely loved it because all three of their tight ends are good ball catchers, and they proved that. Um, Fortson caught a touchdown. Um, Kelsey was awesome once again. Um, the wrist injury a little concerning with Mahomes. It's his non-throwing, especially the short week. They play Thursday against the Chargers. But um, that defense, um, you know they're going to have some bumps in the road as young as they are. But didn't they just look younger and faster out there on defense. I just really liked what I saw in game one out of the chiefs. Yeah. And Kyler Murray was a mess. I mean, he missed so many open receivers, uh, but th- there, there's a couple times where the chiefs had a coverage sacks or maybe, you know, Murray scrambled and gained a couple of yards or something like that. So uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely, I mean, this was an Arizona team that made the playoffs last year and is certainly a team that was expected to have another strong season this year so it's definitely a, a good start it was kind of confusing that coach cliff kingsbury for the arizona cardinals was saying he wasn't sure that the uh cardinals knew exactly what the chiefs were going to be like in terms of how good they were i mean how can you not know that the team that's went, made it to four straight conference championship games and two super bowls and one championship in those last four years how do you not know that they're you know really good <laughs> you, you play in a division that's got the Rams. So you know what a good team looks like. And the Chiefs are comparable to the Rams, at least from a talent perspective. So uh, when Cliff Kingsbury said that he's not sure his team was expecting the Chiefs to be that good, essentially, what is wrong with you guys? How, how do you not know that? Uh, as beyond me, you know, we'll talk about some of the 
injuries. I think I saw something. I think my brother was telling me everybody practiced today except for I think it was uh, is it McDuffie. Is that the right name in the secondary? Yeah, it uh, hurt his hamstring. Yeah, I don't. I think he was the only one that did not practice today. Um, Mahomes, everything was negative on his wrist, and he um, he'll just have that wrapped. You know, some other guys had some nagging stuff. It's a short week, and it's against the team that. I think everybody believes is going to be the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the division, the Chargers who beat the Raiders in the opening week in a tight ball game. They'll come into Kansas City where, correct me if I'm wrong, they won last year. Um, yeah, yep. the Chargers Arrow. won there last year. Um, what do you think of this on the short week? I certainly like the Chiefs being the home team in the short week. What do you, what do you think Chargers-Chiefs Thursday night? Well, it's it's kind of the matchup that's uh, you know what makes the NFL so great. Uh, it, it's it's just a dream matchup for the NFL. You know, you got two of the great quarterbacks in Justin Herbert and and Patrick Mahomes. It, it's you know it, it's it's also the kind of matchup that you like where Andy Reid's your coach, and you know he's he's not going to be the kind of coach that's going to lose you many games. I think we saw that last year with the Chargers coach. Uh, just some puzzling decisions that he would make going forward and whatnot, which I look, I get it, but there's also a time to punt. There's also a time to take a field goal. Uh, and I know that, you know, he can say against the chiefs, well, field goals don't beat Patrick Mahomes. Well, neither, neither does turning the ball over on downs beat Patrick Mahomes. So I think it's a great matchup. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of, it's the kind of game that makes the NFL so great. Uh, you know, just being the homer, the chiefs at home, you know, I'd like to think the Chiefs will win this one. And this is, frankly, the kind of game that could go ways to deciding the AFC West championship. It's hard hard to think about that in week two of the NFL season, but it certainly could. Um, the winner of this has got a leg up on the other already and will be 2-0 and in the rest of the division, all lost. So, yep. And the loser would be 1-1 one and one at that point. So a big, a big early game. Uh, I'm also seeing... Uh, this was kind of related, of course, to the Chiefs game, the Harrison Butker injury. Uh, uh, for one thing, Brad, if that had been me on that kickoff where that ankle turned, I'd probably still be on the field curled up in the fetal position right now. <laughs> that looked ugly. And Harrison Butker is a stud. To come back out and shorten up his stride and kick a 54-yard field goal – with plenty left on it, was absolutely off the charts that he could do that. Now, he's listed as day-to-day, but I love the, the fact that they have Reed in the secondary that can come and kick it five, ten yards deep in the end zone. Now, obviously, he's not as good on extra points. Um, Butker still showed the ability to kick the extra point and certainly the field goal. Um, I think he'll play, but I'm also seeing um, Andy Reed um, – very critical of the turf at Arizona that has certainly played a role in the Chiefs' injuries um, from Sunday. What do you think about the, the the turf and the injuries, especially Harrison Butker? Well, these guys will go out there hours before the kickoff just to uh, you know check the turf out and all that. And if if you can't have a, a, a kind of turf that's NFL caliber, then you know figure out a way to get it. I mean, there was that preseason game against the Bears. Yeah. Where you know Patrick Mahomes threw that early touchdown pass, and I said, "Please, for the love of God, get him out of there before yeah. he before he plants his knee in that in that grass or that that sopping whatever the heck it was. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know Arrowhead's always been a great grass surface. Uh, you usually not very many issues there. So 
it's unfortunate that maybe the the, the surface had something to do with uh, the injuries. Uh, Butker, hopefully, hopefully he can at least get to the point where he can kick for points. I think you know we saw Justin Reed can obviously kick uh, off in a pinch and maybe even kick extra points or short field goals in a pinch. Uh, you hope it doesn't come to that, but uh, hopefully uh, Butker can uh, at the very least kick for points this week. Well, and I, I went into the article quickly on the turf, um, and it says Butker appears unlikely to play against the Chargers. The Chiefs said he would not work in the team's only full practice of the week on Tuesday, and they signed Matt Amendola um, to their practice squad this week, a kicker off of uh, free agency, and he could be promoted to the active roster um, if needed for Thursday. So um, that's certainly something to watch, Brad. If the NFL didn't teach us anything, it certainly taught us one thing this past Sunday. If you don't have a good kicker, you ain't winning an NFL football game. Boy, did, did it! so many of those games come down to made or missed kicks on Sunday. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you just it's something you should never take for granted is having a, a reliable kicker. So we'll hopefully – he can power through. If not, Amendola. I mean, he's uh, he's he's been a kicker in the league, so hopefully he could come in. Hopefully, it's just extra extra point after extra point um, okay. is what he has to kick, and then hopefully the Chiefs will be just fine. That'll be a great game Thursday night, Chiefs and Chargers. One more thought from the NFL, Brad. Um, didn't get to watch all of it. Got to watch um, about half of the third, all of the fourth quarter of the Monday night game last night. Russell Wilson. Goes back to Seattle. What a what a headline on in week one. He takes the Broncos in and loses by one to the Seahawks off of a missed sixty-four yard field goal attempt um, at the end of the game. It was a it was a strange ending. I saw you were critical of this move on um, Facebook today. Uh, they had forty some seconds uh, before fourth down it was a fourth and about three for the broncos they had three timeouts they let the clock run clear down to about 20 seconds and then called the timeout and then send on now okay remind me of the kicker's name for denver it just left me it's like mcmanus McMahon- mcmanus um certainly he's got the leg for a 64 five yard field goal but isn't this the situation you traded for Russell Wilson? Uh, don't you trust him on a fourth and three, move the chains and get into a little bit more realistic field goal position? You had the three timeouts. Um, I don't know. I was a, I was a bit surprised. Now the field goal just missed wide left. Uh, it just felt it felt like an odd decision. And then the head coach for the Broncos using his timeouts for the kneel downs. I, I just thought that was tacky at the end and very, very questionable coaching decision. What would you think about that going down in Seattle last night? If, 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 if Russell Wilson is the difference between the Denver Broncos being a mediocre team and a Super Bowl contender, you trust him to make a pass on fourth and five or whatever it was, fourth and four, whatever it was. You trust him in that situation. Scott, I'm probably trusting him on fourth and ten over a 64-yard field goal. Um, that is not why you, you signed Russell. You did not sign Russell Wilson to bring in. I don't care how good of a kicker you have. I don't care if you have Adam Vinatieri in his prime, okay? You did not bring Russell Wilson to Denver 
only to leave him on the sidelines on a fourth and manageable to kick a 64-yard field goal. Take away everything else. Take away the mismanagement of the clock. So they had, what, 20 seconds? You still have time with three timeouts to run three or four plays if you need to. You get a first down there, call timeout. You move the ball 10 more yards, you call timeout. I mean, the, the even with all the mismanagement clock, they still had plenty of opportunity, plenty of time, essentially, in the NFL with 20 seconds and two timeouts or three timeouts. To, it's just mind-boggling that you spend a quarter of a billion dollars and you mortgage the, the, the stadium, essentially, to bring in Russell Wilson and you don't trust him to make a pass on fourth and five. Again, we're not talking about a 57-yard field goal or whatever. That That's okay. Most NFL kickers, you would think, can, can probably make that. 64 yards, that would be the second longest in NFL history. Absolutely asinine, stupid decision. I hope Denver misses the playoffs by one game. And uh, today in the media, head coach Nathaniel Hackett of the Broncos, looking back at it, definitely should have gone for it, Hackett said. <laughs> you, you think, genius? <laughs> look one of those things you look back at and say of course we should go for it we missed the field goal but in that situation we had a plan we knew 46 was the mark uh i don't know it's 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 one of those situations that yeah am i ecstatic that denver lost well of course i am you know you know how i feel about the broncos um but you know, analyzing the situation. I think it said it was a fourth and five in that article. You, you got to go for it there. Uh, the longest field goal in the history on that field was 56. So, um, like you said, 64. These kickers have the leg for it, but there's a reason why you only kick those at the end of a first half is because there's such a small percentage of them made. And again, like you said, that's not the reason Denver got Russell Wilson. But I am happy Denver is 0-1. So, uh, wild week concluded. And that is uh, one more thing, Brad, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Well, we're going to switch sports out of football into Major League Baseball, who not only proposed but made sweeping rule changes that are going to take effect next season. These rule changes that I'm going to bring forth have been experimented with in the minor leagues this year and have had great success. So let's look at basically the, um, the five major ones. First, thank goodness, the pitch clock finally comes to the major leagues. It's going to be a 15-second pitch clock between pitches. That's with the bases empty. It'll be a 20-second pitch clock with runners on. The batter has to be ready to go in the batter's box with eight seconds to go on the clock. And the hitters are only allowed one timeout per plate appearance. Pitchers are only allowed two disengagements from the rubber, including pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Meaning if you try, if you disengage a third time and you do not pick the runner off of first base or wherever he is at, he gets the next base. Uh, basically, as I understand the rule, they are, would el- they are eliminating the shift, meaning there must be two infielders on each side of second base on the dirt or the infield grass. They cannot be on the outfield grass, and the bases will go from 15 
to 18 square inches in size. So that's kind of a synopsis. They're, they're a little more detailed. I wanted to keep it as short as I could for our uh, listening audience. But uh, what do you think? I love, I, I like most all of these things. I don't know about the bases being bigger. I think that's kind of irrelevant for me. Um, I love the pitch clock. It's, it's shortened games in the minor leagues to about two and a half hours. Um, batters can't get out, um, change their jersey, readjust their batting gloves five times, you know, scratch themselves, look at the third base coach, and then finally get back in the box after every pitch. Um, I, I think I like most all of these rules. It's, it's unfortunate that it's come to this, you know, because – most of these rule changes would be unnecessary if they would just get in the damn box and swing the bat and pitch the damn ball and stop throwing over to first base 50 times and stop adjusting your batting gloves. I guess the only thing I maybe aren't a fan of is the shift uh, because I, you and I have talked about this, but just bunt the ball, just bunt it to where they're not and they'll get out of the shift fast enough. But, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that these rule changes are necessary because uh, baseball should not be a three and a half hour game. And frankly, when the Yankees play the Red Sox on ESPN every Sunday night, it's about a four-hour game usually. So the next thing I want them to take care of is all these regional blackouts and all these fans who are having a hard time finding games. So uh, let's put – there's a reason the NFL is so successful. I mean, they've already had monster ratings through the first week of the season. Uh, Major League Baseball has got to figure out how to get the game back into the fans' hands and making, making sure that the fans are enjoying it. And this is a step in the right direction. And you watch the postseason games, Brad. How long are those? I would say the average postseason game is four hours, maybe closer to four and a half. Those postseason games just go on forever with all the stoppages and the strategies and the pitching changes. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, if you don't have a, a horse in the race in the postseason, I think that you're probably not watching. It, it just takes forever to get the game done. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 ridiculous at times. I mean, there's no excuse for a nine-inning game to go more than three. I mean, yeah, you're going to have your anomalies where you have like you know twelve to ten game or something like that. But uh, it, there's no reason for an average major league baseball game to be more than you know more than probably two forty-five. Yeah, and hopefully that these these rule changes again have been very successful. Um, in the minor league so hopefully the transition to that um, will be fairly seamless and again those will begin next season in major league baseball well that's all of our regular topics so brad we'll move on to your final thoughts well okay we're i'm, I'm actually going to step out a little bit of our uh, listening area which is central kansas for the most part and i want to talk about a high school football team in topeka scott topeka highland park well-known for basketball. They've, they've had some great boys and girls basketball programs through the years. It's, it's, it's one of the top basketball programs in the state. Uh, they've had some outstanding teams through the years. Scott, going into this season, they had lost 65 straight football games. Ouch. 65. They had not won since, like, week two of 2014. And I remember there was one year after Randy Drawing went to Aquinas where they, they had, that was the 1-16 matchup was Aquinas against Highland Park. Highland Park, from what I was told, wanted to forfeit the game because they just didn't have enough players to come down, to which Keisha told them essentially, you can do that, but there will be fines, et cetera. You know, there's there's bylaws, whatever. And so the Highland Park coach essentially begged players, 
can you please come and play football for us this week? So that's how bad it was for Highland Park. Scott, they're 2-0 and right now. Wow. They started out the season with a 60-47 to win over Casey Wyandotte. Then they beat Schlegel last week, 48-29. to And I'm looking at their schedule, man, and uh, I, I think they got Sumner Academy this week where they get to play them at home uh, in Topeka. Uh, Sumner's off to a one and one start. They lost to Atchison and beat Casey Washington. So, and then they got maybe uh, a probable win after that against Harmon. So, I tell you what, man, this Highland Park team. I actually voted them number ten this week in my poll, and it's not because I mean, yeah, a lot of it's you know kind of sentimental. Hey, congratulations to these great kids and all that. But man, can you imagine what it's like for those for those boys right now at practice? That you know they go into the season. There's always optimism when the season starts, right? Then they go out and they snap a 65-game losing streak in, with by, by being wind out 60-47. to 47. So now things are definitely feeling good. You know, you feel great about things. Then you go out and you get another one. And it's no longer a fluke. I mean, they've scored 108 points in two games. And I've heard they've got a couple wide receivers that are really, really good. So definitely uh, seems like being kind of style play that most kids would want to play in. You know, the, you want to play in a high-powered offense that scores a lot of points. So that definitely seems more to be fun. And heck, I'm rooting like I'm rooting like heck for Highland Park right now. Go go out and win five, six games this year. Go host a playoff game or something like that. Uh, I know that they're far out of our listenership, but um, definitely right now, I'm a fan of Highland Park football. Oh, I am too because you, you can go come back here to the local area. My alma mater here, just a few years back, Lions had a I believe it was a 33 game football losing streak that they broke, and just how elated the kids and the the fans and that program, the coaches and everybody in that community was to see those kids finally break through and win a game, but just doubled, practically doubled. Um, maybe one less than that doubled 65 games, just how the, <laughs> the administration and everything in that school had to be elated. And like you said, then they go out and follow it up with another win. Um, now they believe, Hey, it's not just one win. We can go out and be competitive each week. And you talk about a huge leap, you know, you just, yeah, there's, there's no way not to feel, but just great for, for that program to not just get off the schneid, but now they're two and zero. why not? Let's go to three, and know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They got a couple games. It looks like against teams from out of state, uh, which, you know, I can't tell you the first thing about uh, Northeast uh, out of Kansas City, Missouri or anything like that, but just kind of look at their schedule, uh, I think four and four is probably the very base for this team. Uh, I think they got a couple more wins in them. And if heck, if they get to six and two, seven and one, I mean, you, uh, I, it looks like this, their coach's name, Jermaine Monroe senior, uh, boy, if he gets them to a winning record in a home playoff game, coach of the year. every, every single coach of the year award should go to this guy. Oh, absolutely. The, yeah. If, if, if they, if they, they sniff 500, yeah. Four and four, uh, during the regular season, and that, to me, that would wrap up the coach of the year, just stop the voting right now. Uh, <laughs> right. Not, not that that's the way it'll go down, but in my opinion, yeah, I, that would be absolutely – that's absolutely incredible. And, and congratulations, and I, and I hope when we talk next week, they're 3-0. and I really do. I just – I'd love to see um, those programs come back from, from something that some programs, quite frankly, never recover from. Um, and that's that's a great story. For for my final thoughts, I'm going to go back to something we already talked about, Brad. If people that know me know that I love the little guy, whatever sport, whatever level, 
you're talking about, I love the underdog, the teams that um, all they want is, is a chance against, against the big dog, a chance just to show, Hey, we can, can not only can we compete, we can win. We, we talked about um, those monster, huge upsets in major college football, the Georgia Southern over Nebraska, Appalachian state over Texas A&M Marshall over Notre Dame. To me, Brad, that's what makes college football great. Most people are probably going to argue with me. Oh, that's terrible. We want to see the Blue Buds. I don't. I want to see these teams. That are, I want to see KU compete against Oklahoma and beat them. I want to see these underdogs. That's what gets me going. I get, I get fired up about it. I just love to see those because you know that just makes a season and and for a conference not to do it with just one team not two teams but to do it three teams in one week it was for the Sun Belt it was just amazing and you can tell that 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 to me is one of the purest things about any level of sport but still at college when when the little guy that's why I love the big dance we all love the 16 seeds the 15 seeds getting their crack at at the KUs and the Yukons and the Indianas of the world. And then they come through on the national stage. It's just, to me, that's what makes sports great. And I, I'm, you can tell I'm still fired up about last weekend. Why, why does it, why is there this mentality in college sports? Well, okay. So let's compare football to basketball quick. Like it seems like whenever there's a big upset in college basketball, Oh, this is such, so great for college basketball. Like when Dayton beat Kansas, this is what college basketball is all about. But then, you know, you actually hear people complain about how that's not good for college football when you see these big ups. Why? Why is it not? Why does it always have to be Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Notre? Why does it always have to be those teams, Scott, in, in college football? But in college basketball, everyone seems to relish the upset. They they welcome the upset. You know, they want to see the Villanovas come from. They want to see a Gonzaga go out and win a title. Hey, great to see Baylor up there. They, they're, they're kind of the new blood, right? Texas Tech making it to the championship game. But whenever something like an, uh, an outsider crashes in football, it's like all you hear is complaining from some people. Well, yeah. Well, what, what was a huge complaint when Cincinnati got into the, the, the playoff? I mean, oh, moaning and groaning about Cincinnati, blah, 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 blah. The year Central Florida was the unofficial national champion that you know they beat auburn in their bowl game they went undefeated 13 and 0 and auburn had beat the two teams that were playing in the national championship game i mean for those teams not to get a chance i was the biggest boise state supporter during the um bcs days where only two teams got in and boise state left out every year the greatest football game i think one of the great I've ever watched is the Fiesta Bowl when Boise State came from behind and beat Oklahoma. I mean, to me, that was that was so fantastic to see that that they they shined on the national stage and all my Oklahoma friends, oh, they 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 didn't really want to be there. Oh, just shut up, you got beat. <laughs> just, just admit it, you got beat. And yeah, I don't know. To me, it's it's a great thing. People argue with me. I don't care. I, I loved last weekend. I hope we have another weekend like it very, very soon because I think it's great for the game. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's great to see the Appalachian states of the world and Georgia Southerns getting their name out there. And hey, it's great for their recruiting, too, to show that, they, hey, if you feel like you're being overlooked or maybe you don't think you're going to play very much at your next stop, come come play here. 
not only do we have a good program, but we can beat some of those teams. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, we can talk a lot more about those big upsets in the coming weeks. So we appreciate everybody for listening. We'll be back with all of the sports and football, football, football again for next week. But for this week's View from the Press Box, for Brad Howyer, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.